Welcome to Private Equity Laid Bear. Today, our guest is Gail, who's going to talk to us about the holy grail of all the students that come through the doors of a business school, which is finding a job in private equity. So everybody wants a job in private equity. Um, all our students want to do that. I get bombarded of emails all day about, I'm an engineer, I want to go to private equity. What should I do? Should I take your online course? Should I come and do an MBA? Tell me, tell me what to do so that I can get a job in private equity. And you, Gail, it's actually your job. Um, so you must be even more bombarded than I am. It, and your dinner parties must be... <laughs> pretty special. So thank you so much for taking the time. It's like you, you've been in this business, I believe, for 20 years. So you must have never been as booming as now. So thank you even more for taking the time in such a busy period. Oh, absolute pleasure. And yes, I've been involved with private equity for 40 years as well, Ludo. So um, first of all, by doing the job myself and now recruiting for it. So it's a great pleasure to talk about it because I do consider this my specialist subject. And, and what I say my specialist subject is, it's about getting a job in private equity, not doing the job in private equity. And I guess everyone who's listening to this today probably could do the job in private equity, but how many of them will get the job in private equity is a completely different matter. <laughs> That's a good one. So what's the difference? Why, what are the people who could do a job and then they don't get it? So I think the, um, there are some real tricks of the trade in getting that job in private equity. But if we start with what's the biggest problem, the biggest problem for everybody is that there just are not enough jobs to go round. It's at the pinnacle of the financial sector. And, you know, maybe there's around the world three or 4,000 jobs a year in private equity. And if we think that, you know, the big financial employers might hire 1,000 people a year for one firm in London alone, the private equity um, environment is just too small for all the people that want to do it. And what that means is, from the point of view of the private equity firm, they hold out for the person they want. They don't have to compromise on their requirements at all. And yet the funny thing is, they can't find enough people to do the job. Yeah, but and because, the is, because jobs, it depends a bit on the definition of private equity because everybody wants to do a very specific job within private equity, right? It's like people usually don't really want to go to, uh, it's not their first choice, to go to a pension fund, to do secondary markets, if they don't want to do fundraising, PR, like they don't want to do any of this. What they want to do is being an investment manager in a private equity firm, especially if it's like a big name like the Blackstone and the like. So then there are even less jobs than the numbers probably you gave because of that specific job that people want to do. And they probably don't want to do some Excel or PowerPoint either. They really want to be uh, running companies. So, so there are even less jobs like that. And so then the companies like the KKR and the like, then they cannot find people because what they are looking for is something extremely specific. And, and, and you know, there are not that many people with that very specific skill. So, uh, so that's absolutely right. And the whole recruitment process is designed to really identify those people right at the top of their requirement need. Um, but I do think there's things that people can do to help themselves. And one way to look at this is you've got to think of it a bit like um, a PlayStation game or winning Wimbledon. You have to be able to win at every round of the process. 
So if your CV doesn't get you an interview, it's not that you didn't get the job. It's just that your CV didn't get you the interview. If you don't get invited back after the first round, it's not that you didn't get the job. It's that you didn't succeed through the first round. And the same with the case study and the modeling test and the second, the fourth round and the fifth round and the discussions with the partners. If you don't get the job, it just means you didn't get through that round. And we see all the time that people can get better with practice and by just understanding what it takes to succeed. So even if you've got all the skills and all the right background, the perceived right background, there's no guarantee you'll get the job unless you can win at each of these rounds of the process. And that's why I say this is all about getting the job, not doing the job. Um, but you're absolutely right. The whole sort of private equity ecosystem is actually getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day. And yes, you know, the investment manager job at Blackstone or KKR is really tough to achieve, but there are lots of other really fulfilling places and fascinating places to work. So, so what is this one thing that, you say we'll make you win, right? You said it's not so much about what you know, it, it's about, you know, this special skill that you really need to have, the number one. There are many, but like the number one. Yeah, so I think the number one is that you have to think like a buyer. And thinking like a buyer is about realizing that businesses are real, live, organic, living things. They're not spreadsheets. And whilst all the process is about the spreadsheet, actually the job is about understanding about business. And businesses, you know, are things run by people. Um, they make mistakes. Things happen. Things change all the time. So it's really understanding this sort of dynamic and organic sense of what a business is and that you're buying it. Um, and, and that's what makes a difference. And I can give you a sort of really simple example. Um, to get the job in private equity, you have to sound like a buyer. And whilst there are all these um, objective processes in the recruitment, actually, it's still very subjective. You have to feel like you're a private equity person. So let me give you an example of how to sound like a buyer. So I spoke to two people in very short succession who'd worked as an advisor on the same deal. And the first one said, this is an absolutely amazing business. It's gonna open another 100 outlets over the next 12 months. We'll be able to IPO it and it'll be really successful. And the second one said, this is an interesting business. If this chief executive can realize his vision of building this out to another 100 outlets over the next year or so, in combination with the finance director who's really tough on costs, maybe this is something that'll be successful. And that's what a buyer sounds like compared to somebody who's trying to sell something. Yes. So you have to have a sense of cynicism, I think, and realism when you talk about business. And so I that's have- that's great a, because I, I, I teach my students cynicism, right? So that's, 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 what, that's, my, uh, <laughs> that's my Well, brand. that's what we've got to do, you know? And you know, I have a top tip one thing that'll make a fundamental difference and allow everybody to sound like a buyer, and that is to have this in their mind. Right? Every time you say something good about a business, have a mental semicolon and give me the caveat. So you would say, this business is in a fantastic growth market, providing the oil price doesn't tank. Right. Every time you say something good, 
give the caveat and it automatically makes you start to sound like a buyer. So there's simple things that make a massive difference. And a more rigorous thinker, right? It, it, it shows some rigor in thinking. I think oh, it, this yeah. is how I sell my, my, my course, actually. You know, instead of, you know, like, like basically I say, you, if you take the, the, these, these sorts of courses or read my book, it, you, it, the idea is to try to make you fluent in the jargon so that you sound like someone in the industry. And it's, it's a language of its own. But the way of thinking is also a way of thinking of its own. And so you need to get this fluency of language means not only the vocabulary, but also the, the mindset. And so when you have that mindset, like you have described very nicely with this example, the mindset of a buyer, a mindset of being very rigorous and not, and not a robot, then you will make a huge difference. Because I see tons of students saying, look, I've, I've been through a training camp in Excel modeling and this and that. And so when you, when the, the, this is like the recipe, this is how you value a business. You take EBITDA, you multiply by 12 and then you have it. And, and, and you're like, could you sit down and just think for a sec, you know, like, like think whether like these are real comparable companies, why have them valued the way they are, et cetera. And, and, and often this, it's quite amazing how often this is lacking actually. So there are tons of people for very few jobs. There are not that many people who, who think in the right way, have the right vocabulary and mindset. I mean, I totally agree. And I think exactly as, as you say, you know, and, and one thing I say to people when they get to the case study round, for example, is that the most important thing is the most important thing. Nothing else matters. And the reason people fail in case studies, the most common reason is that it will always say, you know, strengths and weaknesses of this business as an investment opportunity. And everybody puts down everything they know. Who cares about all of that? The only thing that matters is what matters. You yeah. know, if the CEO is going through a divorce, that is going to affect the performance of this business more than anything else that's going on. The most important thing is the most important thing. You don't pass these exams or case studies or anything by dumping your knowledge on things. It's about clarity of insight about what's critical. And I can see that's exactly what you're saying to them. Ludo. It, it, exactly it's what funny. You're saying to them. It's funny because it's the exact same thing in an exam at, at, at when we give an exam to students. You ask an open question and people just try to give as many words as possible with like everything they have heard of that vaguely relate to the words that are in your question. And and you cannot give a good grade to that. You want to give a good grade to the least number of words to get me <laughs> a good answer. Um, and, and, and so that's, that, that, that's interesting indeed, that, that people feel that, you know, the more I show that my stock of knowledge is big, the, the better I'll be. There was a famous question. There is a guy who wrote a book. Um, there was a teacher. I, I do something a bit similar. But whenever he had the students going for a job, uh, an in interview for an investment bank, um, he was asking the student to record the interview questions and then he made a book of them. And then it was so successful that actually the interviewers was using his book to pick a question and then it was self-fulfilling. Then he, he, he was the book with all the questions. And there was one question there that I was giving to my students that was like a famous one apparently. So you had this exam, well, this question where um, they were saying, you know, you, you have a, a, a contract, um, you, you, you can dig a hole to find if there is gas somewhere, it would cost X, you will find it with probability Y, etc. You can sell any gas you would find in a forward contract for a price of blah right now. Is this a good investment? Yes or no? And there were a few uh, numbers, I guess. The key thing was to see that if you can sell as a forward contract, any gas you would find, it's actually a safe investment. You will receive this amount of money for sure. And the cost, you could ca calculate them pretty quickly, were way below. So it was, the answer was, 
yes, for sure, it's a good investment. So I do it. And but because there was all these, these numbers and discount rates and things, when people were starting thinking, yeah, you need to calculate an NPV. So you need to find the cost of capital of this thing and blah, blah, blah. And this was exactly the guys you were trying to sort out to save the people that I say, oh, I've seen that in my MBA. All these numbers remind me of my NPV formula. Here it is. This is the formula. And if you had read the question carefully, no need of a formula. There was a very clear answer here. It was a safe investment because you had a forward contract that was offered to you. Um, so I guess it's these kind of things, right? That when to, you try to disentangle people that will mechanically apply recipes and dump their knowledge versus people who are deeper thinkers and, and but master the jargon and the way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, 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 you know, we have a client who doesn't do a modeling test. Actually, what they do is they, um, they have the person in the interview and they give them a pencil and a pad of paper and they say, ah, oh, we're going to buy a small hotel chain. Ask me anything you want and build me a model. And what's so great about that question is this is not about whether you can manipulate Excel. This is about, do you understand what you need to know to build a model? That's excellent. Ask me I anything like you want. And, and actually, I do often say to students when I have the opportunity, you should do this in your syndicate groups. If you're serious about private equity, do this exercise, right? That's it. We're going to buy a small hotel chain. Pick any business you like. What do we need to know to build a model? It's excellent. It's a great, great test of understanding. Because look, we can all learn how to manipulate Excel, but do we understand what we're doing? And that's the point, really. So I think there are so these, and these are exactly the sorts of things that make the difference as to whether you're going to get the job, not whether you can do it when you've got it, really. So, um, so that, that said, that said, some people do not know how to manipulate Excel, but they do need to know. So like the, the, the knowledge is essential, right? So there are these things that everybody needs to know. We are, what we are not saying like you don't need to know Excel or anything like that, but you need the extra uh, mile, which is deeply thinking, deep understanding, deep command of a jargon and the, the mindset. Now, when I think about that as the key, uh, uh, um, key criteria, I cannot help but fear that maybe people would hire people that are like them, right? Because you, you have this danger that then you, you, you select the people that think like you, that talk like you, that, that, that use you the same words as you do. Isn't there a danger in the industry that you may, you know, you may have more chances to be hired if you look more like the guys who are in place? So if we ignore like physical looks, I think absolutely you are more likely to be hired if you think like they do and talk like they do and approach problems like they do. So there is very little diversity of thinking in that regard in private equity, I would say. And it is it is it is one of the industry's weaknesses and it's also one of its strengths. Um, you know, but you are absolutely right. I don't think they always come at problems from a different angle. Um, nevertheless, you can't get away from the fact that the most important thing is the most important thing, whichever way you come at the problem. So, uh, but, but you are absolutely right. Um, it's a, it ends up being a subjective process and they hire people they feel familiar with. And it's partly because they don't do a lot of training. You know, that's why they'll tend to take people from investment banks or from the strategy consulting firms or from business schools. Because they're already they trained. Feel they've got that training. So they want them to hit the ground running. And that means do they think in the right way. But you're right. The diversity, that whole wider diversity question is something that the industry is 
grappling with now. Yeah, I, I couldn't help thinking that these two problems were probably related, as you were saying, here's what it takes to get a job. And you're like, well, now I can better understand why some people were not from the same culture may find it a bit more difficult. Yeah, um, it's hard. Do you have any other tip for, for our listeners, especially the people who wants to like swap from being engineer to private equity? Like we have a lot of questions about like career change. Yeah, so, so I think there is a, a challenge with a career change, but there's also an opportunity. So, let, so let me just say what the challenge is. The challenge is that through a normal recruitment process, the private equity firms will favor the background and experience that they know works. So you will get on a shortlist, you know, your CV will get you an interview, if we think of it like that. Your CV will get you an interview if you've been in an investment banking M&A or led fin team, you've been in a strategy consultancy due diligence team, um, you've been in corporate finance somewhere, with or without your MBA, and you basically been in the private equity ecosystem somewhere you've probably been on the other side of a transaction somewhere those are the first people who get the jobs because they've through osmosis got this sort of way of talking and thinking if you've never been in that ecosystem either you have to get yourself in it or you have to bypass that and the opportunity to bypass that is through networks and relationships. It's impossible to bypass it through a cold recruitment process. So, so as a recruiter, if you don't have the sort of standard background or you're not in the ecosystem, I'm probably going to screen you out of the process, even if you might be better at doing the job, by the way. However, if there is someone in your network within the private equity um, ecosystem, um, that can help you bypass this process. So for example, if you're an engineer and uh, one of your, um, I don't know, uh, alumni from your engineering college is now in a private equity firm, if you go and speak to them and talk and sound familiar, then they will put you in the process. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah. so you can, so if we think of the first round of the process, remember my Wimbledon or PlayStation game, the first round of the process is your CV has to get you an interview. If your CV is not going to get you an interview because it's not the right sort of CV, you have to miss the CV round. You have to jump into the process ahead of that. And the only way you can do that is with relationships. So, you know, alumni you've got to talk to. You've got to find people in the private equity firms with whom you have something in common. And it can be quite tenuous. Like I say, it could be, a, you know, you went to the same business school. It could be the same university. You could come from the same country. You both might like mountain climbing or cycling or whatever it might be. But if you can bypass the CV process and get straight in at the first interview process, and by the way, that's not asking these people for a job, but asking them for some advice or, um, you know, s supporting the process. If you say, look, I can see we both climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. It was a great experience. Love to know how you got into private equity. Could you spend me 15 minutes of your time? Look, they know you're looking for a job. You know you're looking for a job, but they don't have to turn you down. They can share some advice. And if they feel familiar with you after that call. Hey, and why shouldn't they? You both climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. They'll put you into the recruitment process. So you won't have been screened on your CV. You'll have missed that step. 
So you can like get a buy in the game of Wimbledon that is uh, uh, sort of getting this job in private equity. You can get a buy by bypassing that CV process through networks. And honestly, networks and relationships are so important, Udan. I know it's a really big part of the business school experience and I absolutely urge everyone to understand how important networks are, not just for this job in private equity, but for your whole career development. Um, yeah, and, uh, that's, that's a very good uh, tip. Thank you so much. I, I, I fear a bit. I, I had a friend of mine who has one of his dream jobs in, 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 in a top tier practically firm, investment manager, etc. And she says she's bombarded by emails of people saying, can we grab a coffee and to discuss and, and, and they, they find all kinds of common points with her. Uh, and it's tricky because you may very quickly spend half of your time talking to these people. So it's, it's, it's pretty difficult uh, for, for them as well. So be mindful of the people that you are asking, sending emails to and, and soliciting like myself. I, I, yeah, I, I feel bad to turn down people that I receive so many. But, but you see, that's the you point. So you all feel, but you all, they feel bad doing it. And if you, you know, if you want to stand out in a crowd, think about what's important to that other person. And this is another thing about the interview process, actually, um, that I would say to people is just say, what? valuable to the other person look you're just a product in this so when somebody says to you why do you want to do private equity and you say well it's the next it's the it's the it's the next best step for me in my career they don't care about you and your career they only care about what's valuable to them so if you want to stand out in the crowd think about what matters to me and to you Ludo, and to the people you're approaching Give me some value and I will give you the value of my time. So if you can make it not a one-way street, but a two-way street, you're more likely to stand out. So always think about what is the value you're giving to that other person or that other party and move yourself away from that sort of selfish perspective about what matters to you. That's a very good tip. I, I, I did offer that once. Like, so I'm a cyclist and then people say like, you know, can, can we have a talk? And so I say, well, I get on a bike and then, you know, I can hide behind you in the wind and then, and then, and then you can, we can have a bit of a chat. So yeah, you are of some use to me. Um, so that's great. Thank you so much. Uh, Gail, again, you, you're very busy and it was extremely kind of you to, 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 to take the time and, and advising our students and everyone else listening. Thank you so much. No, it's absolute pleasure. Anytime at all. Thank you. So this was uh, Jobs Laid Bare. Don't forget to subscribe and congratulations on your acquisition of one more piece of knowledge. Ciao, ciao.